everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Wake up, Matt. I'm all ears. Jessica Jones, episode 110, a.k.a. 1000 Cuts, sponsored by Kinko's, the only place you can produce copies of your righteous anger over your missing brother in three hours or less wow certainly a uh, a, a complex introduction there pete and pete now it's time for some surveillance what did we see in the episode we begin matt with Kilgrave getting away in the uh, stairwell of the building where he has been kept with the hermetically sealed chamber he then commands Hogarth, uh, who's in a car there, holding a gun on him, and uh, is able to get in with him, with her, and drive off. Um, Jessica uh, comes outside in a moment that we saw at the end of the previous episode, um, really kind of looking around, uh, where did they go, that kind of thing, and then down the road it's uh hogarth saying that she didn't know she didn't know he would and uh she never finishes the thought i think we are meant to to read that pete as she didn't know that this actually was the case that he had superpowers right um but regardless as we start what is roughly the last third of the episode i know know, 13 doesn't divide into threes perfectly but here we are in the final third, uh, pardon me, not of the episode of the season, rather. Think how unexpected uh, a place this is that it starts. Uh, we have him out of the special secret Heidi place. Not that, I mean, I th- you know, no one would have thought during during episode 109 he was going to be there for the rest of the season. But here we are. He's We're in kind of that unknown territory. Uh, Jerry now committing to everything. Pete, the Chekhov's gun that she had, she threw away. That itself is a surprise. Uh, also a nice addition there of his bloodied feet. A little bit of, of a reminder that, um, you know... <laughs> That there's been some some sympathy thrown his way, even though we are not sympathetic with him as a person. And Pete, I love as we kind of return to this uh, scene of the two of them in the car. Her fear is palpable. She's following the basic physical directions: drive, go to a doctor. But um, insofar as she has not been told to think differently, wonderful job there on the part of uh, on the part of. Um, Carrie Ann Moss, you know, just the point being, Pete, that you can see this great performance here where her body is doing one thing, but her mind is thinking another, and it's all shown through that fear. Yeah, the idea here that um, he's telling her, uh, you want this, uh, you know, she's in shock over uh, what he's done to his own mother, that she deserved it. Um that he's still got to get his hands on the father there, the loose thread from the last episode, go to that doctor, someone you trust, which I think is an interesting aspect. We examine that statement alone, but this is an episode, Matt, that throughout, I think that, and we're going to look at this in our um, cryptology segment, Kilgrave's not only with the idea of the vaccination and uh, you know, a possible cure, his commands don't seem to be taking not just with Jessica, but with others anywhere as effectively. Uh, That's, that would be an interesting theory to go back and check. Um, Certainly that is the case in this episode, uh, not to, not to jump, 
not to jump to the end of the narrative for this episode, but that certainly seemed to be the case with uh, uh, the literal versus the implied when it came when it comes to hope at the end of the episode. Um, but certainly something to keep an eye out, uh, an eye out for. Um, as this episode progresses past the car scene, though, Pete, I love how we've had this this big kind of loud action-y open. You know, there's there's the car and the zooming and the running and all this. And then very, very loud, we cut to a silent view of the holding room, silent view of mom, mom dead, dad presumably dead, spoiler, not. Um, and then the sound slowly reinserts itself into the episode. Uh, not, not that I think that the sound had been truly pulled away but just we now start to hear the sound of trish trying to drive a bullet between her fingers into her skull because she was told to put a bullet in her head yeah um that flooded room the the floating corpse there and this moment which is one of pathos dealt with surprising levity when jess shows up there here put it in your mouth okay you followed his command there you go. And I think only somebody who had suffered that and emerged on the other side of it, scarred but still surviving, could bring that. And and kudos for Ritter selling that humor there. I didn't quite I mean, I think it certainly is ironic and I think it's it's it, it gives it gives the audience a little bit of a uh I mean not even a dark chuckle, just kind of like a you know, a sad um but you're right it, it is all because of uh, Kristen Ritter being able to kind of you know walk the line there but Pete when you mentioned levity I thought you were going to mention Detective Clemens who comes in and not that he's he certainly is not cheery but there's just a wonderful grit to him um as he says his broken ripped thumb it's nothing that can't be fixed and you just say you know to be to be a to be a metro cop so so close to retirement um you know as as they often are in tv show and movies but you know the whole other police discussion aside let's assume clemens is a good cop and um to to be a good cop for this long in a big city with a lot of with a lot of negative stuff going on eh, you look around like i'm not i'm not saying he's unsympathetic but it's just like all right wheels of justice let's get let's get slowly starting to turn again let's come to a solution here yeah um his his wrist there all bloody that he's not going to call an ambulance here he's going to get some uh guys so that he can trust who won't muck up the scene um and jessica finds out here that somebody cut the fail safe on the button wired to shock the room albert comes to and uh I, i like the transition he sees his wife he talks about his heart and then he's still with the the command from kilgrave that he's got to cut it out and they duct tape his hands here and uh this is also where jess hammers home to to trish that she is now free um and just you think of the scale as as we often do in these episodes you think of the scale of this season of Jessica Jones so far relative to to Daredevil or Agents of Shield and it's it's a much smaller story it's much more uh much more intimate i certainly don't mean that as a as a pun although that that certainly is where much of the 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 genesis of the story is but you know here we just have this small group of people all kind of interacting here and and <laughs> so many of them that have been in this room um 
and some of them in the next scene, you know, having gone to the doctor, Jerry knocking on the door of the, of the doctor she trusts. And I like that the, the episode holds that reveal to the audience until the door opens. Hey, it's Wendy. And now they're both under his spell. With Chekhov's coffee table. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, they don't linger there, though. We cut back to the holding room. Here we get uh, the reveal from Dad, from Albert, that Kevin emits a microvirus. Um, and I thought, Pete, that that was a really nice um, updating of, of the character bio from the comics, uh, from pheromones to microvirus. I suspect uh, pheromones, that's probably the solution that a comic book writer gives you with kind of, you know, I mean, in comic books, anything can be anything, right? It's just if you can draw it, it is. To me, microvirus feels much more like that's something I can wrap my head around in terms of, yeah, that could be a thing that can make this guy do this thing. Uh, so kind of a nice update there. Yeah, I mean, they refer to it as a virus. And then he talks specifically about microparticles. Um, but obviously, the the idea that this is emitted that uh people breathe it in that for a certain amount of time they have to uh do his bidding and that they had worked for decades on a cure they almost had it and jessica here that she's now been seen by clemens um resisting the order and she's feeling it herself might be the missing ingredient pete could it be a result of her having a mutation um, could it be a result of having relations? Ew, I hope not because, well, well that's not, that's let's not a remember how, solution. how a cure is, uh, is usually found. That's true. That's true. Regardless though, Pete, this had me wondering at this point in the episode, if we have a way of neutering, but not killing Kilgrave by the end of the season. So certainly something to, uh, for me, in my in my spoiler free existence, uh, something to kind of watch for, um, you know, do they make a habit of killing off the bad guy every season in uh, in all Marvel television? Uh, which, at least a quick scan of my memory, reveals quite a quite a pile of bodies. Or do they say, "Hey, people are going to start to expect that now. Let's just if we take this power away, now it's a guy in prison. We never need to hear from uh, from him again. Time will tell." Well, we didn't kill off uh, Wilson Fisk, so this is true. This is true. Cer- certainly, the exception there already. I do. Uh, I-, I do apologize for my momentary lapse. However, has his equipment back in his motel room across from uh, Barbudo on Washington? So Trish has to get him back there. Uh, his hands duct taped. They create the narrative device where Trish will be his hands. With uh, with that, we cut back to Wendy patching up Kilgrave, and they didn't go for the direct line, but there was kind of that, Pete, there was the Kilgrave line there about witches, right? And there was just a little bit there of like, women, what can you do? And this is where Pete, Wendy notes that life with Jerry was death by a thousand cuts. Pete, that's the name of the episode, and we're dealing with a bad guy who can oftentimes deal with things pretty literally. Yeah, and she recounts having taken, uh, well, after Kilgrave mentions that he did this grand romantic gesture of recreating Jessica's childhood home down to the slightest detail, which is not romantic, it's creepy, um, 
the whole idea that Wendy brought uh, Jaron to Paris for their 10th anniversary and Jerry was on the phone with a client the entire time. Um, that it's, you know, it's little things and then it's finally the final stab with uh, the secretary. Uh, that there's this shared idea they are talking about of violation and on the one hand with Wendy, it's absolutely understandable. Kilgrave, it is completely uh, not identifiable in terms of this rape metaphor of the control throughout this series. And on that particular topic, uh, Kilgrave is told about Jessica wanting revenge for what he did, particularly to Hope. Hope, who had been pregnant, the remains have been kept by uh, by Jerry and uh, tested to try and replicate Kilgrave's power, which, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's funny how she was not a full Kilgrave believer uh, previous to her abduction, but um, but still was willing to abuse that for her, for her, uh, you know, furthering her legal practice, her legal uh, calling, etc., uh, they do mention rather uh, clearly, I suspect, for uh, for purposes of future episodes, that uh, the remains are being kept in cold storage in Hammond, Hammond Labs. Uh, and then, Pete, Jessica calls Jerry, and Jerry immediately tells Kilgrave that it's Jessica. And I found that very interesting because my question is this, Pete. Had she been compelled to say that, or is she just deciding to be overly sharing? Or is she just cutting to the end of it kind of in the literally way of... I know you're going to have me tell you who it is, so I'll just tell you. Well, you answered your own question. He had earlier noted her honesty, and it was before that that uh, he said, uh, I wasn't asking a rhetorical question, tell me. So she wasn't, I don't think, either his, his virus is less severe at this point and not, uh, holding on, gripping on to them, or the suggestion isn't as strong. I don't know, but that he, narratively in dialogue, they put that up there, struck me as very, very strange. And Jerry's a survivor. She's doing everything. We know that she cut the cord in um, you know, the, the building where Kilgrave was being kept. She took it upon herself to take these remains to try to replicate the power because that wouldn't at all be useful in a courtroom. Um, and now that she's, you know, between a rock and a hard place before she's even further between a rock and a hard place with the outcome of this particular dilemma she's in still trying to work those angles. Indeed she is. And Pete, I think slowly you're, you're bringing me over to the, uh, to, to the the dark side view of Jerry here as uh, as as villainous. I mean, we've seen her do some bad stuff, but you're certainly not upholding the spirit of the law if you're trying to get yourself superpowers. So whatever you say, people do. I mean, that's you know do do some um, do some people not get treated fairly by the legal system? Absolutely. And are there lawyers who I'm sure know that and and you know wish it wasn't the case sure but that's the system we have it's not perfect but it's it, it, i don't know it beats uh just a, a 
I don't know, a judge waving his hand or some, you know, police officers declaring you guilty and that's it, that sort of thing. But it's kind of, you know, she she's increasingly crossing the line more and more here. But uh, but back to back to the scene in particular. She's on the phone with Jessica. Jessica says uh, rather blithely that Albert just must be with Kilgrave, and Jerry keeps trying to find out where Albert is. I think Pete. The subtext is that Jessica knows something is up. Um, oh, and- absolutely. This is a, this is a chess match. This is oh, I'm going to tell you what's not going on, and you're going to tell me what's not going on, and we're going to try to piece it together from one another. And uh, still, still back at Wendy's place, having quickly gone over to, to to Jessica's side of the conversation, the doorbell rings and Kilgrave goes off screen, telling Wendy to deliver death by a thousand cuts to Jerry. And we see cut number one, and uh, we'll see we'll see more in a bit in, in what is a pretty horrifying scene. But first, Pete, back to the holding room and Detective Clemens. I'm sure that'll go just fine. Yeah, or will it? <laughs> Um, with Simpson descending upon the scene here, uh, recognizing or actually telling Clemens, you recognize me from the station, uh, shows him the badge, talks about how Clemens is kind of a legend from his, you know, great clearance rate, um, that he's out of context, out of uniform, et cetera, et cetera here, um, and caught up on what went on, uh, Simpson explains that it was Trish who called. Uh, Clemens has locked the floor down and that they're awaiting some people there to come and take care of the scene that can be trusted. Uh, Simpson sees Louise and what's happened, wants to know, you know, what's going on there. And Clemens explains this is a victim of a killer with abilities. But now that they've got all the evidence to put him away, and he's about to uh, call for backup. Simpson draws a gun on him. And this whole scene, hats off to, to actor Will Travail playing Will Simpson. Um, there, he has so much energy. He still has the limp. We have all these questions. Surely he must know, he the actor must know that we're we don't understand every step which has gotten him here the last time he was here he was you know recovering the last time we saw him rather he was recovering from from surgery um so with all these questions the actor really is kind of making hay of it uh without overdoing it but um simpson is talking here about skipping the system of legal rule laws courts simply taking kilgrave out uh, Pete, I, I know we had gotten an email. I want to say it was from Dr. Bob, but I know we had gotten an email a while ago. Just this notion of what is, you know, like, l- let's put on that, that, that law school cap for just a minute. What is the legal right thing to do here? You know, I mean, we have rule of law, we have courts, we have all of this, but if that's outdated for these people, what do we do? Simpson here, um, as an officer of the law from the NYPD, which I'm starting to wonder how much of that is true, clearly as he pulls a gun on another officer asking for info, you know, we're, we're starting to look at Simpson in a much different light here. He's a man on a, a mission, Pete. It's the drugs, Matt, as we come to see in this episode, apart from any other motivation he might have, but he's convinced, having been a victim of Kilgrave that he's not going to be able to be processed through the system. Um, but what was weird was, okay, 
I don't need a weapon to make a vaccine. He's ready to hand his gun over to, to Clemens. He said he was sorry. And then once he gets the address of where Albert has uh, gone with Trish, he kills Clemens in cold blood. Absolutely shocking moment. In no way saw that coming. Um, I, I mean, again, it's, you know, it's, there, there's so much mystery to this character. And as Simpson uh, takes out, you know, what I assume is, uh, you know, sterilization, alcohol or something, he douses Clemens in the room with that alcohol, lights it up, walks out. And Pete, here we are 10 episodes into this season. Who is this guy? I hope that I hope we find out more in the next three episodes because we we know him less than we did when we first met him in episode one hundred two. It's definitely a deepening mystery, and from there to go back to uh, seventeen cuts <laughs> so far, um, just this brutal scene between two characters who have been having a war of words, and now it's physical under the uh the direction of Kilgrave, the Pam finally comes in at thirty cuts and uh hits Wendy, uh sending the uh the left temple into uh uh conflict with the coffee table there. Yeah, it's a rough scene to watch because you know that unlike many times when we've seen people under Kilgrave's uh, sway act this is a case where this woman, it's two parallel paths here. She's driven by both her own anger and Kilgrave's effect, but they both are in a certain degree of harmony here. I don't think that, that Wendy would have done this without the order, but this is this is in her. You know, that she is capable of this. Um, but a few moments later, there's Wendy's head on the side of the heavy uh, glass table. It's all but clear that she is uh, dead as this portion of the scene uh, progresses. Pete, I found Pam in just a beautiful moment of frailty. She, uh, she, she says that she wants Jessica to stay. She kind of needs this protection. Um, and, and I don't think that weakens Pam at all. I mean, this is a, you know, Pam is many things, but most of all, I think she's a sympathetic every person kind of character and you know here she needs somebody who can who can handle this somehow uh jessica declares pam however is acting in self-defense uh but more so that jerry it has been part of murder here yeah from everything with uh louise thompson with uh kilgrave's mother uh to this now that she even brought Kilgrave here. This was to get the divorce paper signed. Um, Matt, uh, no wonder you're coming around that Hogarth is uh, not a good person. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that the show is letting that progress as, you know, I mean, as it always perhaps should have been. I mean, she's a villain in the comics or, or he is a villain in the comics. Um, but I like that they're letting Jerry Hogarth kind of earn this. Uh, it would have been easy, uh, although I suspect not easy for this production team to just say, well, she's a professional woman in her, you know, in middle-aged and she has short hair, therefore she's a B and she's a B to everybody around her. Instead, it's just, she's a professional woman. She's driven. She's... She's in many ways kind of gender neutral, um, 
and they've they've kind of played with that a bit, but we're still ending up at the exact same point, which is which is uh, she she does not look <laughs> not look good at all. The whole scene here, though, coming down to Hogarth saying, "Okay, I'm going to handle this. I'm going to handle everything." Boy, I hope she handles it as well as she's handled everything else so far. <laughs> Pete, the story moves to Trish calling Jessica, noting that while Kilgrave is coming for Dad, Dad is working hard on his his motel chemistry set to find the cure. Pete, do you remember your first motel chemistry set? No, because I didn't have one. <laughs> My, My first motel never chemistry... bought me a motel chemistry set. Um, the the whole thing here with uh. Jess calling that, oh, he wants to, she wants to use me as bait. I'm going to use him as bait. I, again, a little bit of humor there, but a little too wink, wink. And, you know, to the point where Trish has to say, yeah, she has, she has the total confidence in you at the end of the conversation. Um, this is a transitional scene. This is okay. We're going to, we're going to show him working, uh, you know, I did love the line, however, that uh, Jessica gave to Trish that your optimism is getting in the way. And given the way this episode ends, Matt, uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> this is this is not a perfect show. This is a very, very, very wonderful show. This is not a perfect show. And the humor doesn't always hit a home run. But the instinct for inserting humor is is always a good instinct. Um, because it's in the right amount, and if nothing else, it gives us a break from from the darkness of it all, and uh, you know what is ultimately you know a really depressing story so far about you know loss and lack of consent and gender roles, and to throw a little funny in there here and there is 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 welcome, and we see that. In the next scene, we have Robin and Malcolm seemingly coming out of left field story-wise. But anytime you see Robin, it's funny. But she's now less funny because, of course, of the the, the death of Reuben. And here we have right. this just sad irony that Malcolm, who helped dispense with the body, is helping her look for her brother. Um, they're they're hanging up all those wanted wanted posters for him. And uh, the zinger is Robin asking Malcolm, if you aren't part of the solution, are you part of the problem? Yeah, it, it's pointed with the humor. You know, we shared a womb. It's, it's that over-the-top Robin that we've seen. And we see again later in the episode when she crashes the, um, the support circle. But um, for Jessica to be the conscience here that, that you can't do this, that you and I both know what's going on and Malcolm's admission later on that he he's telling the group he can't tell her until Kilgrave's been dealt with. And I just want to stress again that as over the top as Robin is, she is not a caricature. We all have met people like Robin. Uh, Pete, I was at a work-related dinner just this just this past week where Here's somebody who I don't know at all who's sharing way too much and just like, okay, I don't know you. You're a single serve friend because we happen to be at the same table, but you know, I don't even I don't even I don't even work with you during the day kind of thing. We all know Robin's in the world. So when she has the line, you know, hey, uh, the line after Jessica throws the wanted posters down, Robin says, "Hey, that took me 3 hours of Kinkos, cougar." You know, it's over the top, but 
it's it's just Robin is just one of these excitable, over the top, real people. Yeah, and obviously, it's not the better half of these two twins, one of whom is now deceased, and the other not knowing it yet. But it's the one that gives us that darker humor that uh, you know we can play around with that completely goes with the tone of this show. The story keeps moving. Jessica, of course, outside her apartment building, then upstairs in her apartment. Uh, she changes her clothes, has a healthy breakfast of what I'm assuming is more whiskey. And Pete, <laughs> Kilgrave is there, something that I was totally unsurprised about, given that a scene from this, uh, or a, a still from this scene, was part of the Netflix art as the episode loads. Thanks, spoiler, Netflix. <laughs> To, to corner her here and the admission that he's known for some time that his commands were not working on Jessica doesn't in any way soften what she's been through. And we get it a little bit later on with the flashback that they go through, the, the, the talk of the time and everything it takes for the uh, the commands to wear off, but the stakes here are are laid out. That you know he's he's got to, as he always does, have some kind of contingency in place. That uh, you know there'd be a rash of suicides across the neighborhood. I love that she calls him on the bluff. I I'm not. You think I'm not going to kill you because some strangers might stab themselves? And he says, "Well, it's poison." Da 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 da. But it's. The idea of hope. Hope is the one. It's the identification of another survivor, of another victim. And that's where Jessica's heart has been on top of her own uh, status as a victim and need to set this right, is to get this girl with her life ahead of her, who's already suffered a pregnancy at the hands of this man, free and clear, and to save her. One might quibble a bit with this notion that, you know, Hope's Hope's future, her life, her time in prison, whatever that her, you know, whatever her future might hold is no more precious or less precious than, than the, the potential strangers that are out there. But, I mean, A, what do you want? We've put a face to, to his victims with Hope being kind of the most, certainly the most prominent one. Um but also on top of it, I think that's just how we as humans operate. You know, you hear, oh, it's so awful that there's uh, there's the homeless this time of year, you know. But you put a face on that or, you know, you'd be much more willing to help someone you know, that sort of thing. Uh, to me, it's in line with with not just the show, but kind of how we all act. Um, and speaking of hope, uh, there's mention that uh, Kilgrave has ordered her release. She'll be out free tomorrow. Then Jessica can have a free conscience. And I like this, how this chess match continues here. This is almost the first scene where the two of them are are equals and they both know it. And, and, and that's new territory for the show. And And fully honest with one another, the phase of their relationship that Kilgrave has dubbed the wrath. But this wrath... Matt, um, you know, despite the roster of human carnage, the Schlotmans, Reuben, Mommy, uh, the lawyer, presumably Hogarth, that uh, Kilgrave's referring to, 
this is only going to end if Kilgrave gets what he wants in his father, Albert, uh, tomorrow morning, because he says he's a man of his word if he feels like it. He having having this weekend, Pete, seen one petulant child reject the wisdom of his parents. It's amazing to see that in in Kilgrave as well. Um, just in terms of uh, he, he is such he is such a petulant child here. He's such a petulant man in terms of you know he's he's done all this work to keep her under his control. Even though he's losing control, he doesn't want to lose control. I mean, we're kind of we're quickly slipping into Freudian territory here, but the show isn't kind of the show isn't overly selling it as I must be in control of of the girl who loves me. I must reject mother and father so I can be a man. But that's all there, and the fact that the Freudian view of the world is now kind of somewhat. Uh, considered somewhat uh, lacking nuance it just suits this guy who thinks he's all all nuance and all foodie and all you know uh complex but instead is just a thief that steals people's lives and property and and emotions and back to the old interrogation room that feels like a fixture in this series but now it's pam who's handcuffed there hogarth comes in wants to know uh you know how she's uh, she's done? Has she answered any of their questions? And um, Pam wants to know how uh, <clears throat> Kilgrave knew that uh, Wendy was going to be there, and, and the central issue of their relationship now trust. But Matt, it's complicated, which is apparently something that Hogarth says quite a bit when she's lying on the phone to clients. I I was glad in this scene to see Pam get to more realization about about the the darkness in Jerry. That said, Jerry did not bring him there to sign the papers. At least I don't think so. I think that uh, oh, I'm hanging my undoubtedly, undoubtedly, and and he said it. He said, you know, I'm. Uh, she said, oh, you, you don't have to make this happen now, and he said he would. He's a man of his word. So that was going to happen. She might have backpedaled off of it, but it was going to happen. So you're not hanging your hat on take me to a doctor you trust and the, the doctor she most trusts in this world is Wendy? Well, remember, why did she slash the button for the electricity? It was all the ultimate get. I can't get the powers from the aborted fetus. Now okay. I need to get it from the source. How interesting that yet again we diverge. Me seeing the me seeing the head and you seeing the tail when it comes to uh, flipping that coin. Oh, Jerry! Listen, uh, you know Carrie Ann Moss is a powerful actress, and that she could even uh, engender feelings on both sides goes to show you the delivery that she's given here. It's a fully formed. It's not a black and white, black hatted villain. That is certainly true. Uh, however, Pete, one thing she is not is currently Pam's lawyer. Uh, the cop comes in to book Pam, and Pam says she needs a lawyer. I thought this was a lawyer. I don't know this woman. Boom, extra burn. Yeah, to uh, to boot her out in such a way. It's going to be very interesting to see when we come across Pam again or if the two of them share a scene. 
back to Jessica's office, though, with Kilgrave and his feet up on the desk. Jessica's in the bathroom texting Trish, trying to stall here. And we've got the 24-hour time frame. And then comes maybe the most brutally honest conversation that uh, Kilgrave and Jessica have shared to this moment, which informs a lot of the backstory, despite uh, Kilgrave saying he will miss um, Jessica and her provincial yet snappy repartee. They make a good team. And this flashback of um, Jessica, a very different Jessica, yellow, bright, dress there although the black shoes is a, is a nice nod to where she currently is um, the whole thing that uh, he knew for 18 seconds that she was there of her own free will and this is the ultimate rape allegory Matt the idea of uh, wanting it as opposed to it being forced upon somebody and accepting it and even down to this this timing that he has done, I'll accept the virus nature of this as the science of the show, but I doubt that his control is exactly 12 hours for every person. I mean, that's just not kind of how a virus works, you right. know, your weight and your immune system and you know, all of that, right? So for... Either it's Immunity, a story, a, a number of factors. Right, right. So either that's a weak point in the story, or it tells you something about Kilgrave's character that he's willing to say, "Well, it was exactly twelve hours, and you were off the clock for eighteen seconds." And it gets back to what you're saying, Pete. He's come up with this data set, quote unquote, to prove that you know she liked it, she wanted it, and everything befitting of the the, the rape allegory here. She did nothing; she didn't want to leave. Therefore. Everything was great. And I love that they then show Jessica's version. I don't know, Pete, that I've ever seen two flashbacks of the same event with with wildly varying points. Cut in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was it was interesting, but it really worked. And you had those dreamy edges there. She sees you 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 have the hooves and then she sees the white horse, because that's not at all symbolic. And the idea that she gets up on the ledge, she jumps down and, you know, rides off after turning around on the horse. And then they get snapped back into the flashback playing with that time and that she's up on the ledge. And then, you know, oh, you're not listening to me. Well, what are ears for? Cut them off. And that she goes to do this. And in the present time to reveal that scar, a physical manifestation of his damage upon her that to this point has only been on her psyche has only been with other people but now she physically bears a scar that he has given her which only reinforces how awful and detrimental he is in the lives of everyone he comes into contact in and with that, she delivers a couple of good hits to Kilgrave and and to a man and woman in the audience. I'm sure we're all cheering because they're big, solid smacks that she gives him, you know, at the edge of superpowers and uh, and really an effective moment there. Uh, we then move to uh, Malcolm's support group and the notion that they are doing better, which is something that kind of 
I can only imagine in, in, in any kind of support group, whether it's, you know, abuse, drugs, alcohol, et cetera, that is, that's the story of the day, right? Keep, keep staying on the good path because you're getting better. You kind of have to believe it first to make it happen. Uh, here, though, we see it starting to fall apart. It's mixed with these sins of the past. Uh, with that, Malcolm starts to share the guilt of his dispensing with Reuben's body. And a really, really nice use of the location that they're at because they're kind of at that corner at the long table, but it's not too far from the bar. And the just counter, yeah. And, he, and for Robin to be there. And, of course, you see some cracks starting to form. There's the African-American gentleman who says, you know, he still hasn't gotten his kid back. Um, even though the African-American woman who was speaking at the beginning, Emma, was saying that, you know, oh, you know, once in a while she even catches herself smiling. So it begins on a hopeful note and just descends and descends and descends to the point where Robin, once she overhears this and works her mind control, whips the, most of this group into a frenzy, even Claire, even the cellist, to uh you know try to go after uh jessica that she's the one who caused all of this and pete just so it's clear to listeners uh, to our listeners i'm sure you mean kind of robin's mind control with a small m her her, yes. her persuasive yeah, but, speech yeah i but it, it bears noting that the irony that they've been controlled by somebody with powers and here they're bent by Robin in their searching to try to bring answers to this and to try to move forward in this healing process. And she encourages all of them to go get Jessica. Even Claire, trendy guy. Emma, trendy guy. Love it. Love it. Love I mean, it. again, Robin and the late Ruben, an inspired addition to this show because they're kind of characters that don't have much of an arc. I mean, we've gone from robin with brother to robin without brother but it's a, it's a small arc these are small characters so they can do big little comedy moments without you i don't know kind of rolling your eyes uh rolling your eyes to it well pete they're headed to jessica's apartment we return to jessica's apartment there's a bound and gagged Kilgrave. he's he, pete he's right where we've always wanted him to be here we are <laughs> this must be the this must be the season finale if if, if we don't know the episode count Jessica calls Hope and tells her that she'll be out soon, a matter of hours. Nothing can go wrong here. Yeah, nothing whatsoever. <laughs> Which is like, you know, Pete's like, any time on Survivor you say, oh, I'm totally safe tonight. That's when you know they're voting you out blindside because knock, knock, Malcolm is at the door. He's ahead of the mob, Pete. Well, I don't understand that reference, but yeah, just ahead of the, the mob, but he's made a terrible mistake, okay? And then these people pour in. Robin ultimately finding the poor captive in the other room. How many times has Kilgrave wriggled off the end of the hook like this? And uh, to go from there over to um, the hotel with, uh, with Trish and um, Albert and uh, working on the cure there, the knife, why the knife would still be out was a really odd choice hey eyes up here but he's looking at it he's still under the command like why wouldn't you put it away i'm gonna say that's just welcome to tv and film in terms of he still has he's still under the power 
therefore there still is the risk. But if we don't see the risk, you know, then we then we don't as an audience don't fully understand it. You know, you have to show it, not say it. Um, I would say that's why. I mean, I agree from 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 the strictest definition of reality. Throw the knife out the window, and then just kind of you know he can still be bound, but I think it's just there to to remind everybody in the audience why she is still acting as the hands for the scientist and all of that. At least that's the only that's the only explanation I can have. So when Simpson shows up, um, explaining how he's even able to be there, last time Trish Song was in the hospital, but yeah, that Kozlov, he's he's good, and she notices that his pupils are dilated. The mention of the meds, uh, what kind doesn't matter, but he feels much better than he looks and he wants to uh, help make the vaccine here. Uh, talking about uh, Clemens and then this British doctor here noticing that this is Kilgrave's son. There was some great use of purple, Matt, in this particular scene. We saw it on the wall first. And then when Simpson gets aggressive, we see it quickly through because of neon, you know, of Hell's Kitchen outside through the window onto his face. And again, who is this Simpson guy? Ten episodes in, he attacks Albert. He shoves Trish. He gets a nice knock on the head uh, as she's pushed into the the wall or the window frame. Um, And then he gets kicked out, which to me made it a bit of an odd scene. Like, what did we achieve here? Maybe we're setting things up for for, uh, a future episode. Well, we achieved two things. That that the meds have messed him up. He says it won't happen again, but Trish took the reds out of his pocket. Mm. So he doesn't have them now. And now, in her hands, not knowing what they are, um, in the discussion a little later with Albert of what could be going on here. Certainly a, uh, a story point for, uh, for future episodes. Uh, however, we cut to Jessica, presumably several hours later, she wakes oh, up on the morning. Floor. Indeed it is morning. Pete, that's how I knew it was several hours later. because <laughs> I, I once studied the, the sun and how it, uh, how it rotates around the earth. I'm totally sure there hasn't been an update for the last couple hundred years on that one. Anyhow, uh, Hope is calling. Jessica didn't pick her up, and that's when we say, yep, things are about to go from bad to worse to worse to worse. She tells Hope to lock herself in the background, uh, bathroom, rather. In the background. <laughs> in the background, indeed. <laughs> um, and to run down to the jail that she's missed her by 20 minutes, and of course there's a woman, um, a cop, who tells her that, well, uh, you, Jessica Jones, he's at your favorite restaurant. He said to bring dad or lose all hope. And, hey, Pete, they may have named this character for some specific story <laughs> reasons. Um, but uh, Before they abandon her, Matt? I- indeed. But before we get to the possible abandoning of her, back to the motel we go. The vaccine is ready. Jessica's ready to bring it and dad. Uh, a quick again, I I credit the episode for selling the tension of the possibility of this vaccine, and certainly it it could have worked. I would argue, Pete, maybe in a in a future segment uh, of this podcast episode, maybe it does work. But um, hey, with three episodes to go, we're not solving all the world's problems here. It's about how she knows what people look like on speed. We've had some reference to her with um, drugs in the past. 
And Albert talks about um, the uh, probability that it's some kind of combat enhancement for wakefulness, that it would numb the pain center and push adrogenic uh, blah, blah, blah to the, uh, to the this and the that for strength and stamina. And Trish talks about how he had been part of a private research group that was no doubt unregulated, Albert uh, talks about. Um, but you can grow strength but not conscience, which clearly this doctor knows a little bit about. Um, but that Trish has these now tells you everything you need to know about what is potentially coming in the future with her choices. And uh, Jess comes in. She wants to know if the vaccine's ready. There's only one way to know. So we've got to make the trade here. This is dad for hope. Um, he's told as they get ready to enter the uh, the restaurant from the first episode where both hope has been brought in the past and uh, <clears throat> Jessica has gone as well, that there'll be a contingency in place, people who will harm themselves. And he sprays himself with the uh, vaccination before they go in. Slightly curious way to spread a vaccine uh, at least that's i mean aren't vaccines usually ingested in some sort of form i guess he could have breathed it in i don't know if maybe that's a little sweet story seed for future reference but um pete as they walk in great use of how they are shooting this episode uh we see the reaction first of uh dad and jessica uh, then the camera moves over to show the survivor group itself, kind of this ultimate sad irony here. Well, four the, of them, uh, Malcolm, trendy guy, <laughs> uh, Don, and Robin there. It's an interesting cross-section. Indeed it is. And they're they're standing on the bar with nooses around their necks. For, for, for a split second, I was taken out of the story just to imagine how do you achieve this shot while building in ultimate safety for the actors? Um, I, I have no doubt that there's tried and true ways to do it. It's probably, you know, the ropes are held up by, you know, a single thread, uh, you know, outside the view of the camera or whatever. But that wide shot that they have, which is a, a camera high up looking down at the whole scene, it's, you know, forget how it was made in universe. It's a horrific moment here with these people who potentially are going to die in a really, really awful way if things go bad. And to have it go the way that it does after the discussion between Jess and Kilgrave and an impatient hope wanting Jess to act, uh, the, the forcing of the situation that they uh, everybody gets put in the worst possible position. Forget having the noose around your neck, but uh, being held up by it. Forget being next to Kilgrave, but slashing your own throat um, to up the ante. And Jess has to show her powers. She uh, jumps to the sprinkler to save four lives and getting down to hope there. Um, you know, I watch with subtitles on. I watch with the uh, I'd like to see the dialogue and the the action that was written in a parenthetical 
all choking. Mm. All choking. Yeah, yeah. So when when Jess gets down to Hope and uh, uh, Hope says, you can kill him now. Tell me, tell me, tell me you'll do it. And she says, I will. I'll kill him. And then Hope goes limp, which Matt is TV code for. She has just just bled to death. And Hope with the, the big and little H both is lost. Yeah. And it doesn't go without mentioning the reference, the illusion, classical illusion here to Dante Alighieri's uh, The Inferno that written on the the door to hell, abandon hope all ye who enter here and we have lost Hope Schlotman. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start with Kilgrave. You can't feel any worse about this character than you do in this episode through what he did at the end. But the whole, and, and he, funny that he calls it revisionist BS, his imagination of what he does with Jessica could not be more off. And he he shows his cards talking with Wendy that he was underappreciated. I mean, he is the he is the embodiment of this this uh, masculine only world that 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 uh, is is ever more fading bit by bit, day by day, year by year. And it's all in that flashback there where you're understanding that even in this uh, this contemplation of suicide that Jessica goes through, uh, you know, even in that, he sees the beauty of she just needs to kind of come on, come on back under his uh, under his wing. He'll take care of her. He'll protect her. And uh, I mean, as you say, Pete, it doesn't. You know, you can't imagine seeing him any worse than we do now. How about Hogarth, Pete. I don't know why it is. I still keep holding out hope for her. No pun intended. But there's there's less and less each episode. Um, the, to me, the bridge too far is uh, it's just these links that she will go to achieve multiple goals through through negative means, whether it's the jury stuff, the jury tampering f- from her past, whether it's um, bringing you know. a weapon like Kilgrave to her, you know, her ex's home for medical care under the auspices that. I'm going to give you this and you're going to get divorce papers signed for me. Yeah, that, that's not really a white horse maneuver. And, and I mean, her greatest sin, Pete, is that of arrogance because she thinks that by using this Kilgrave weapon that she has control over it the way one might have a gun, have control over a gun. You know, she thinks she's going to come out on top of this and it's only because of her arrogance. With Wendy, Matt, it's the idea you know she's she's done some unsavory stuff she's been attempting to blackmail for 90% of hogarth's wealth which looks like she was doing all right on her own as a doctor there i mean we don't know if, if they've moved out or what's what but albeit under the control of kilgrave and that's the interesting aspect of this series is that anybody with a command can wind themselves up onto this list of suspects that we run down each episode and this is the largest list we've had of any point in this season 
but to be slashing, to take the literal command, 1,000 cuts to Hogarth, to the point where it was almost a little unbelievable that after these 30 wounds that Hogarth is able to come defend or attempt to defend Pam a couple hours later. Uh, I, I again... I, I give Wendy a lot of a pass. I think that her, or at least for, for, for the legal stuff, for the divorce stuff, I give her a lot of, of leeway. I think she's demanding all this money because she's trying to share the emotional hurt with someone who she feels does not feel it. So she's trying to hit Jerry where, you know, the things Jerry does love, which are her own possessions and sense of ego and all of that. That said, Wendy clearly wants to kill uh, Jerry, or at least part of her does, and Kilgrave has just unleashed that here. With Simpson, it's the meds and the combination of his belief that Kilgrave can't go into the system. But to coldly, callously murder Clemens here after a moment before being prepared to hand him the gun very interesting turn of the character well i think him being prepared to hand the gun over i think that was more of a maneuver than anything else like i can keep the gun because i'm willing to hand it over to you therefore i am no longer a threat and i just had a bad moment uh i expect big things to come in the next three episodes in terms of learning more about him and learning more lies from his past and truth from his past and more about dr kozlov etc Pam enters the fray between Wendy and Hogarth after repeatedly knocking on the door. I'm still not quite sure how she got into the home. Must have been unlocked and she was just trying to be polite because first she rang the doorbell. But uh, to hit Wendy, yes, in self-defense. But uh, she's taking a life here and uh, winds up on our list and even diverges from Hogarth. Pam is someone who has fallen in love with a woman that she thought was admirable and a woman who, who, in which she saw a role model. And she's learning what Wendy has learned and Pete, what I have learned and you have known all along, which is Hogarth is simply not a good person. And lastly, Robin, um, She's mentioned it before that they stage that scene in such a way that she's able to eavesdrop and, and then manipulate this group. It's that misguided idea. You know, she's she's so worried about her brother and we continue to get admissions about <laughs> that he couldn't tie his shoes without her approval. <laughs> That's why he wore slip-ons. But the cuteness is overrided by her just blind stupidity letting Kilgrave out to where you get that smirk on his face when the duct tape comes off. It's no wonder she winds up in a noose a couple scenes later. Poor, sweet, stupid Robin. Is there any more proof of this being a topsy-turvy world in which they live than she is trying to always do the right thing, or at the very least what she perceives to do uh, as the right thing, uh, and and it leads to negative consequences? I mean, you know, you walk into someone's apartment, you see someone else bound and gagged. The right thing to do is to let them go. 
and now to terrible, terrible consequences that have left Hope dead and four other people with, with a serious brush of death. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Matt, how is Jess able to resist? Has she built up a tolerance? Is the virus no longer uh, affecting her? Has she been vaccinated through her time with Kilgrave? What do you think of what's going on there? Pete, I'm going to go highbrow here. I'm going to say that part of the larger commentary uh, of this series a series that is is you know being generated by women i think part of the commentary is that that you know these times they are a change in and your theory that his powers overall are fading i think that is the best answer for why she is is immune because it gives us this metaphor of this view that he has is changing you know it's 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 a generation maybe certainly two generations ago where you know rape in a marriage was not a legal concept that just simply did not exist legally that was not that was not a, a, a an allowable notion of course it's not rape it's marriage so you just see it just that as one example of how the world has changed and modernized and for his powers to be fading is the powers of you know, the male centric world as opposed to kind of a, uh, a gender neutral world. It's really interesting that there's this lag, this uh, weakness to his powers, particularly not just viewed through what he had done the previous episode with Jess and they kind of slowed it down for you that she's resisting and Clemens confirms that in this episode, but with Hogarth early in this episode to the second time he's got to say that wasn't a rhetorical question tell me so something's going on here is it libidinal you know does it weaken in that sense it it's really interesting to throw this into the mix and a, a weakening villain is sometimes perhaps the most dangerous type oh absolutely absolutely particularly as this world of comfort that he's lived in you know uh, just i'm going to pick a great apartment with a great view of the uh a great view of the brooklyn bridge i'm assuming pete he was on the brooklyn side because that's where all the cool people are all the trendy people all the all the restaurants and such um all but the hipsters the hipsters absolutely <laughs> i mean you know but all of that goes away as his power goes away he's just a guy with a mouth when this virus um is no longer an issue either through the vaccine, which I'll mention now, Pete, I think that dad's vaccine worked. It just maybe is going to take time in part for the purposes of the narrative. We still have three episodes to go. Um, but I think too much work went into that just to be like, I don't know. I guess it doesn't work. Goodbye, <laughs> dad. Um, that is a story possibility. Cause maybe that's just yeah. how you fill this episode. But I mean, look, I don't know that we need Kilgrave dead at the end of this season, um, we certainly seem to be headed there with the the dying maiden saying, "Please avenge my avenge my death, avenge me by killing the bad guy." But I mean, what hell would it be for Kilgrave to just be in a cell with a bunch of jerks and nobody listens to him, nobody cares what he has to say? Pete, it's like it's like if we didn't have a podcast. 
<laughs> That's a really interesting aspect, not us not having a podcast, but that he could wind up being dimis- diminished to the point where there he is incarcerated and, and that's his hell. That's that's his inferno being unable to get people to do what he wants. There's two other threads, Matt, here in this episode. I, I think they're largely connected. There's the subject of the aborted remains of Hope's baby. The Kilgrave now knows about this, that uh, Hogarth was trying to replicate the power. And speaking of power, there's the meds that Simpson was is on that Trish is now in possession of the reds that get you up the whites that keep you stable and uh, the blues that bring you down well she doesn't have those other two there are some wonderful story coals in the fire for these remaining three episodes uh, it was so specifically spelled out to Kilgrave and again to weed the audience where that uh, where those uh, remains are that that clearly is something they're gonna they're they're gonna use story wise. Ditto with the pills there. Plus, there's the overall, you know, what will happen to Kilgrave. Um, I can only assume we're gonna have Luke come back into the story. There's there's so much potential for these remaining three episodes. Really, really exciting. <laughs> Pete, let's check our mail drop and hear what people have to say. Though the though the old mailbag is looking a little light today, Pete, certainly busy time of year. Just want to remind people to uh, to be sharing their thoughts. Particularly here we are, we'll you know in uh, in my goodness, Pete, is it really is it really a week and a half uh, have completed all of Jessica Jones? So your thoughts overall for the uh, for the season? Still no renewal yet. I'm hoping that uh, Netflix sends us a, a renewal in our collective stockings. Um, and, uh, of course, Pete, not just Jessica Jones being uh, spoken about this week. Over on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, in addition to JJ, what do we have lined up for uh, in the next day or two? Well, we had recorded a pre-discussion uh, about Star Wars The Force Awakens and uh, – Hopefully, if you have now seen that, like uh, most of the world has, if you're following the box office returns, uh, we will ha- be having a spoiler full uh, recap conversation of both what happened in the film and uh, what's to come, Matt. And certainly uh, it just exciting, exciting times. Uh, before you know it, Pete will be turning our attention on the Pop Culture Podcast feed as well as the, uh, the Agent Carter feed to the return of, uh, of that show. And uh, it's just uh, it's, it's fun times to be a geek, Pete. A little uh, Christmas flavor, too. We're going to be having a, uh, a poll first on our Facebook page and then finally on Twitter for what Christmas movie we will do a commentary for, in addition to maybe some from the past. It's, uh, Pete, it's a holly jolly time, and there's, uh, though the mailbag, the mail sack might be a little empty, there's there's a sack full of podcast gifts coming your way, dear listeners. But, But Pete, do you know what the greatest gift is, perhaps? Well, of course, beyond, you know, fellowship and and brotherhood this time of year amongst amongst all people secondary to that maybe maybe a a distant second but secondary to that is the fun that people can have with you on twitter how can people do so 
you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, J, Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 6,820 followers. Can't be wrong. Pete, I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, but you, dear listeners, can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's Fantastic with a PH, and we are under that name on the Gmail, the .com, the Twitter, and more. Yeah, Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH. Gotten a complete uptick in, uh, in friends there, Matt. But nobody's talking about Jessica Jones on there. So let's let's get on there, Jessica Jones peeps, and and represent. Can't have it all be Star Wars and and Shield and 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 a holiday. Come on, man. Where, where's where's Jess? That's right. What would Jessica Jones do? Pete, she'd hop on our Facebook page and start to share the share the chatter. What would that, Pete? As we look ahead to these final three episodes of Jessica Jones, definitely time to wrap this one up. I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I'm a man of my word. If I feel like it. Yeah.